It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Thank you for joining us for another uh, Thursday edition, which, of course, is when we have the pleasure of entertaining your questions, which we're very grateful for. Um, And I mean that uh, if we didn't have your questions, there would be no need for me and Mary Langston to try to answer them. So please keep them coming. Uh, The more, the merrier. And eventually, uh, God willing, I probably won't live long enough to get through all of them, but hopefully Mary Langston will. We'll be hopeful that we both will be around. Thank you for having me, Trey. How are you? I'm doing great. I hope you are. Hope you had a good weekend. Yes, sir. We missed you last week. Do you have any notable sports news for us this week? Yeah, well, you know, it was a rough Saturday. I came back early from the beach to watch my beloved South Carolina Gamecocks play Mm. Georgia. And, um, but you know what I concluded at about, 3.30 3.30 on Saturday afternoon. What is that? That as disappointed as I was, um, I mean, I didn't really think that we would beat Georgia. They're the number one team in the country. They look fantastic. Mm-hmm. But I, I did think it would be closer, more competitive. And so I'm sitting there feeling sorry for myself. And it dawns on me, I didn't spend a single day this summer lifting weights, running wind sprints, sitting in team meetings, working on plays. I didn't do any of that. Mm. I am not Shane Beamer, the head football coach, Marcus Satterfield, the offensive coordinator, Clayton White, the defensive coordinator. I I haven't missed any of like my kids' events. I haven't gotten home at midnight trying to figure out this, that, or the other. So whatever disappointment I may have felt as nothing but a fan pales in comparison to how disappointed the players and the coaches would have been. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the reality is it was not a great outcome. That's, that's the reality. The other reality is I, I'm just an observer. Um, the young men that played the game, the guys that coach, the parents of the players, they got to be a whole lot more disappointed. So I got to keep it in perspective. Mm-hmm. That's what I learned. It's hard because I'm old and I don't have that much else to look forward to other than college football. Those 12 Saturdays uh, that, you know, South Carolina or Baylor or Alabama or any of the teams I'll pull for play. But, you know, I watched Shane Beamer's press conference afterwards. I, it, it's his job. I mean, it, it's his life. I don't want to say it's mm-hmm. his life. He's a good family man, but. So my disappointment really doesn't compare to the disappointment of the players that are sitting there running the stadium steps and, you know, altering their diet and trying to balance going to college with practicing and giving up spring break and giving up Thanksgiving break and 
all the things they have to do, they're a thousand times more disappointed than I would be. So I got to keep it in perspective. That's what I learned for the most part. And that Georgia's good. Those two things. Well, that's a good perspective that we can all have. So I appreciate you sharing that Trey. Um, and we'll hope for a better game next time, but we have a lot of questions this week. Trey, are you ready to get started? I think so. I hope so. Okay. Well, we're going to start with some sports. And our first question is from Wilbur all the way from Montana. He writes, BYU did a pretty thorough investigation into the accusation by the Duke volleyball player and found no evidence that the charges were true. Are you going to comment? Wilbur from the great state of Montana. First of all, your state is beautiful. I never went at all for the first 50 something years of my life. And I've been three times in the last probably four years. And it's a beautiful state. And I'll say this, Wilbur, uh, your question is exactly the same question my mom asked me at the beach, which is whether the investigation by Brigham Young University had any impact on my analysis. And for those who may not be familiar with what Wilbur is asking, what my mom asked, I think we got maybe a question or maybe I don't, I, I know we addressed it last week. And if I know myself, and I think I know myself pretty well, I probably gave all the same caveats that I like to give, which is based on what I know now, based on the evidence. I wish I had more evidence. I always wish I had more evidence. So I probably prefaced my remarks in that way. I know what it was. We got a question about Dawn and her decision not to do the home and home with the BYU women's basketball team. That's what it was. But I probably even then said, look, I don't know all the facts. So now Wilbur and my mom have the same question. And the answer is and always should be, and in my case, always will be, yes, we should always be looking for new facts and new evidence and new witnesses. And Wilbur is correct. BYU looked in. Uh, to this incident, they took it very seriously. They looked for audio and video, and they interviewed students in the area. I have not read a written report of BYU's investigation. I read the articles about their findings. I, I don't know that they issued a report. If they did, I want to read that, too, because I would welcome the chance um, to read any report, and especially the witness interviews. And therein lies the key, looking for every piece of evidence, every witness, every audio, every video. I, I'd be shocked if that's not how I preface my answer last time. And if I didn't preface it that way, that's certainly what was going through my head. So it, it is always better to wait until we have as much information as possible to draw any conclusions. That's not the world we live in, particularly if you're in the media. Um, you know, what you usually hear in the media is, you know, based on what we know now, or, you know, if this is true, then that is true. And, and we say that before we figure out whether the if is right. So, these are the questions that I have even after reading the articles. So we have the allegation. We have the investigation by BYU. We have a lot of media coverage. Did the BYU investigation include uh, the young woman who first made the allegation? Did the investigation that BYU conducted include teammates and members of the Duke uh, women's volleyball team? 
were the BYU players interviewed as well. And what I don't know, I don't know the answer to any of those questions. I also don't know if BYU asked for permission to talk to the Duke student athletes and had that permission denied. I don't know whether they asked to speak to the Duke uh, student athletes and had the permission granted, but did not conduct the interview. I don't know how specific the allegation was initially in terms of the precise words used and the frequency of those words used. I also think it's worth noting, uh, and I think I made this point to my mom, Duke and the player involved have not recanted uh, the allegations. So there's still an allegation from a witness. BYU did conduct an investigation, which did not turn up what we call corroboration. There was nothing to support the allegation. If this were a courtroom, which is where I am more comfortable and more familiar, the matter would still go to a jury. Um, the jury might well believe the word of the young woman, despite the lack of corroboration found by the subsequent investigation, the jury might conclude that nothing was said and that the young woman was incorrect. And that's why I prefer the courtroom. You know, the question correctly notes that BYU did not find evidence to corroborate. However, there is still, quote, evidence through the statement of the player. And therefore, legally speaking, there is evidence on both sides. So unless there's a recantation by the Duke volleyball player or an admission by the person who's alleged to have said it, neither of which have occurred, then you still have this controversy in fact. So the, the last I heard, she's sticking by her version of BYU conducted an investigation, which cleared, this is important to note too, it cleared the person originally suspected and it also failed to find what we call corroboration for her assertions. And people are welcome to make up their minds based on her assertion alone. They're welcome to wait until the totality of the facts come in. They're welcome to base their opinion on BYU subsequent investigation. In a perfect investigative world, uh, the young student athlete would be interviewed in a respectful but thorough way and get as many particulars as we can get. So, Yes, it is very important. It is indispensable to factor in new evidence, new facts, new investigative undertakings. But the fact remains, there is still evidence, as that term is used and understood, on both sides. People are free to believe the evidence. They're free to not believe the evidence. They're free to wish that there were still yet more evidence from which to base their conclusions. But, you know, I... I can tell you this is exactly the way life in court happens, and it happens in courtrooms all across the country, including Montana, on a daily basis. Sometimes there is corroboration. Sometimes there is not. Sometimes there is an allegation of assault from months or years before, and there is no physical evidence. Usually the fact pattern is something like this. It is the word of a child, the word of a child or a victim almost always a female victim uh, as an adult. Child can be male or female. It's the word of the victim versus the word of the defendant. Or in court, maybe the defendant doesn't say anything, which you know, he or she has the right to remain silent. So what we're left with is only, only the assertions of the complaining witness, um, sometimes also called the victim. I mean, does that mean you must convict because 
that is, quote, the only evidence? No. When there's no corroboration, the credibility of the witness is even more important. And I cannot judge the credibility of a witness if I have not seen or heard the witness testify. So uh, before we leave this general area, I do. I think it's a super important area. And I know people are sitting there thinking, God, that was a pretty short question to get such a long answer. But the, I mean, this is life. There's an allegation. There's either corroboration a little bit of corroboration, maybe some corroboration and contradiction, which is actually very much what a courtroom is like. There are certain pieces of evidence that suggest it's true. There are other pieces of evidence that suggest it's not true. And we are left as the deciders, the jury, the finders of fact, to try to sort it all out. Um, but something else happened too, which Wilbur did not mention, but I'm going to mention it. BYU played a football game in Oregon this past weekend, and there were vile things said about the BYU football team. And that is on video and audio. And Oregon, um, Oregon University has apologized, uh, but those fans uh, should be dealt with um, as harshly as you can deal um, with fans. It, it, what was said is religious bigotry. And there is no shortage of evidence. There is no dearth of evidence. There is plenty of audio and video to corroborate what some of those fans said. So in that case, we're not trying to prove a negative. We're not trying to prove something did not happen. It is there for the entire world to see and hear. So what we have with Wilbur's question and in this fact pattern are two of the most important precepts we can have in our culture, which is rooting out animus and hatred and discrimination and not allowing people to be falsely accused. Both of them are supremely important. So how do we get to the bottom of what, if anything, happened during that volleyball game? Examination and cross-examination of the witnesses. So unless and until there is proof that it did happen, or if the witness says it did not, admits that it did not, then we will be left as we often are in court with an allegation that doesn't have corroboration and we're left to try to sort it out. Well, thank you so much, Trey, for explaining that. And thank you, Wilbur. We had several listeners wondering that same question. Our next question is from Brian. He writes, you were one of the few congressmen I highly trusted. Besides Tim Scott, who are four current members in Congress that you trust the most? Well, Brian, thank you for saying that. Uh, by trust, I um, I don't actually think about politics at all when I hear the word trust. Um, I think, you know, who would I trust to keep their word? Who would I trust or entrust the well-being of my family to, my finances? Who would I trust to tell the truth? Who would I invest money with or, uh, you know, my wife's retirement? Who would I trust to be a physician or a physician, more importantly, for my wife or children? Many of the people that I trusted the most are gone. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard is gone. Joey Kennedy is gone. Johnny Ratcliffe is gone. Uh, who's left? And again, I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about real life. Uh, I trust Kevin McCarthy, and I would trust him with anything uh, that I had. I trust James Langford, who was in the House, but he's now a senator from Oklahoma. I trust John Thune. 
uh, who is uh, a senator from South Dakota. Obviously, I didn't serve in the same body with him, but I knew him and I traveled with him, um, which is another good way to kind of get to know people. Uh, Anthony Brown, who is, I think, still there, but running for something else in Maryland. He and I were on the ethics committee together and everything on ethics is done in private and there's no fanfare and there's no media. And he was fair behind closed doors uh, and he was fair to me in public. Uh, Jim Jordan was always um, straight with me. Um, sometimes we agreed, sometimes we did not agree. That's true for every name I've called, not just Jimmy. But Jimmy, um, if you told you he was going to do something, he did it. If he told you he was not going to do something, he didn't do it. And uh, that to me is trust. Peter Welch from Vermont um, is in the House now, but he's the nominee for Senate. Those are some of the names. I think it's also, Brian, important to note, many of those names would never vote for me and I would never vote for them. Trusting someone's view of the role of government or the nature of mankind is one thing. It's important, but it's one thing. Trusting people to be honest, to be fair, people that are worthy of your trust, uh, that is something else. And to me, it is more important. Well, thank you so much, Trey. And thank you, Brian, for your question. We'll answer more of your questions when we come back. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Our last question is from Sarah in Florida. She writes, what is the best way to follow the midterms? Well, that's a great question, Sarah. Uh, Pick Mm -hmm. some races and check on them daily. I mean, there are polling websites which sort of give you an average of the polls. I mean, there can be outlier polls. There can actually be mainstream polls, and those polls not be accurate. We've seen that um, a lot. I mean, polls can be and often are wrong, but it's the best, I guess, sort of educated guess we have until the game is actually played. So, you know, pick a race. Um, I like Marco Rubio very much as a person. And I worked with Val Demings uh, in the house. We were on a committee together. So that's one race that I'm following. I follow it by trying to read Florida newspapers, uh, national reports, uh, watch any candidate interviews. Obviously, I'm going to, if they have a debate, I'm going to watch the debate. I I try to read everything I can get my hands on, but I also cross-examine all of it. And when I say cross-examine, I just sit there and say, okay, how do you know that? How do you know that? How do you know that? I don't want to sound like a cynic, even though I am. I just, I like to cross-examine information and find out what the source of whoever's telling me that, what their source is. And then hope, you know, through that process of examination and scrutiny, uh, some version of the truth appears. So there's no shortage of, of data. There's no shortage of polling, uh, external, internal it's also worthy, um, worth noting kind of the right, wrong direction of the country. That's a frequent polling question. Do you think the country's headed in the right direction? The answer is overwhelmingly no. But you combine that with the history of knowing that the party in power usually does not do well in midterms. So you have the history saying it's not going to be good. 
for the party in power. You have the right track, wrong track question saying it's not good for the party in power. I, I try to read it all, but I read it all with a critical eye. And then I look at the average of the polls rather than individual polls. And I pick the races I care the most about. But it's uh, it's fascinating. It's important. Uh, the reality is you just cannot tell what people are going to do until they get the privacy of a polling booth. I think people feel um, a little bit invaded. Their privacy is invaded by the constant polling and people asking questions. And uh, I mean, I can tell you right now, somebody called me and said, what are you going to do in this race? You know, they could ask me, you know, what are you going to do in the race between Tim Scott and his opponent? Well, I'll know exactly what I'm going to do, but I'm not sure I would tell somebody over the telephone. In fact, I probably would not. Well, I, we would never know because I wouldn't answer the phone. So it's an inexact science, but it's the best we have, Sarah, is to follow it through an aggregate of the polls. And then, you know, if the candidates debate, watch that and uh, kind of filter all of that information through uh, the bias that I believe exists among most reporting sites. And uh, if you believe that the information you receive is biased too, you should, you should factor that in um, to your overall analysis. Well, thank you so much, Trey. And thank you to all our listeners for your great questions. Yes. Thank you. Keep them coming. They're uh, thought provoking mm -hmm. and uh, the questions are almost always a lot better than my answers, but uh, but I got to come up with an answer. So that's the best I can do. Keep sending me the questions and, uh, you keep asking them for me and hope you have a fantastic week. Hope everybody does. We're trending towards the end of September, I guess. October will be here before we know it. And then the midterms will be here before we know it. And the great thing about participating in a democracy is there's always an election after that one too. There's always something to look forward to as well. And thank you, Trey. We missed you last or, week, so we're glad you're back. Or dread. Yeah, you can look <laughs> forward to it or dread it, either one. There's always something else coming. Yeah, either way, but time keeps going. You know, I hope you have a fantastic week, and we will see all of you next week. Have a great week. Bye-bye. Please subscribe, rate, or review this podcast on Apple Podcast or at foxnewspodcast.com. You've been listening to the Trey Gowdy Podcast on the Fox News Podcast Network. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear Podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.